Hello, church family, and greetings from America. A few months ago, Pastor Ledbetter mentioned that he'd be visiting here in the States, and he asked if I'd be willing to preach for him while he was away, and I agreed to do that. Just so thankful to have the opportunity to preach to you today. I wish we could be there in person. It would be wonderful for Sharon and I and the kids to be able to jump on a flight and be there with you at the church and meet you and talk with you. Uh, but for right now, this is what we have uh, options for, is just to be able to, to long distance share this time together. And so I'm thankful for the technology that allows me to preach way over here in California and speak to all of you there. And uh, very thankful for what we've heard of God's just working in your church and anywhere around the world where God is working in his people. We are thankful for that and just so glad to be able to share our love for Christ and our love for his word thank you for listening and taking the time out of your day to invest into listening to the Word of God. And this is the truth that we need. This is not my opinions and ideas that you need. Uh, what we need is God's Word. And so I hope to be an encouragement today. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews. So if you have a Bible nearby, I hope you'll grab that and turn to Hebrews chapter number one. We'll read just three verses this morning, but they really are some of my most favorite verses in the entire Bible. Um, the book of Hebrews is a book that's focused on one huge theme. The theme is this, Jesus is better. Every passage in the book of Hebrews nails at that idea again and again. The author of Hebrews says that Jesus is better than the prophets. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than the Old Testament priests. No matter what standard you compare him to, Jesus is better. Now, we have to ask then, why would the author of Hebrews and why would the Holy Spirit through that author take an entire book to stress that big idea that Jesus is better? Well, it's because there were people in the church there who were struggling to believe that it was true. See, in the first century, it was very difficult to be a Christian. Many of the believers here that, um, that we're addressing from the book of Hebrews had come from Judaism. And so when they came to faith in Christ and began to follow Jesus, they left their entire cultural heritage to follow Christ. Many of them were disgraced, isolated, uh, and really cut off from the people that they had lived their entire life around. Others were being pulled left and right by all these new teachings that were rising up. In this first century, there were many false religions that kind of cropped up in the wake of the popularity of Christianity. Uh, many of you will be familiar with Judaism, among many others. And so there was these new teachings that were pulling people away from the true gospel. And then there was the Roman government. They acknowledged the, the Jewish religion, but the Roman government in general was very um, antagonistic toward Christianity. And so many believers in this day faced constant fear of persecution. Um, and as you read in the book of Hebrews later on, you'll even see in chapters 12 and 13 that they were experiencing many other difficulties uh, that just were, were part of living in that day. Poverty and, uh, and death and disappointment and, and challenges in life. And so these were a struggling people. When they first trusted Christ, I'm sure they felt the freedom and joy of that new reality. But in time, they came to see that the Christian life is not an easy life. We are called as Christians to die to self. That's not easy. We're called to love our enemies. That's not easy. We're called to suffer for Christ. We're called to give generously and sacrificially for others. All of these things, and the list could go on and on, they're all very difficult. And on top of all of that, we experience also the loss, the disappointment, um, the difficulty that everyone experiences in life. If, if 2020 has taught us anything, it's taught us that we live in a broken world. 
we all suffer the effects of physical sickness, financial stress, political unrest. The list goes on and on. There are things that all of us experience just as human beings on this planet that are difficult. Christians are not exempt from those things. But at the same time, those things are not an excuse for us to stop obeying Jesus and serving others. That's difficult. Maybe you're listening and you've even thought to yourself today, I don't know if I can make it. (laughs) Maybe there are times where you wonder, man, it's just, it's too difficult to live the Christian life. I don't know if I can do this. Maybe you've asked a similar question to the one that the believers were asking here and you've asked, is it worth it? To follow Jesus? Is it worth it to keep fighting sin? Is it worth it to keep sacrificing and serving other people, especially those people who don't even treat me nicely when I do that for them? Is it worth it to keep loving the people in my life around me and serving them? Well, the author of Hebrews is going to answer those questions emphatically. He's going to tell us that it is worth it. It's worth it because Jesus is worth it. And you can make it because Jesus is enough. That's the message of the book of Hebrews, and it all starts here in chapter 1. Now, let's just kind of guess before we read the verses. Where do you think the Holy Spirit, through the author of Hebrews, is going to start to address these struggling believers who are wondering whether or not it's worth it to keep following Jesus? Where where is he going to start? You might think that he'd start with their problems. What are the problems that they're facing And how can I help address those problems? How can I write to encourage the believers in those specific areas that they're struggling? But that's not where the author of Hebrews starts. The author of Hebrews starts with God. And specifically, with a God who has spoken. In the original language, these first three verses that we're about to read, they all form one sentence. And this opening sentence really highlights the heart of the entire book of Hebrews. God has something to say to his church, and the message is focused on the person and work of Jesus. And if we get this message, we will have the answer to our question, is it worth it? So hopefully you've had a chance to grab a Bible and turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Let's read together here, Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 1. It says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us now as we look into these three verses at the beginning of the book of Hebrews. Lord, would you open our eyes to see the truth of your word? I know there are people listening who have had a difficult year. There are probably some even now who are carrying burdens, maybe who are even wondering whether they have the strength to continue uh, faithfully serving and following you. And Lord, I pray that you would use this passage to encourage us, to remind us of the treasure that we have in Christ and help it to give us the strength to be faithful Christians, to love and serve and worship and give and do all the things you've called us to not out of obligation and duty alone, but out of joy and gratitude for what you've given us in Christ. Would you open our eyes and show us this truth? Give us grace for what we have in front of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are in the book of Hebrews, and we have to ask then, where does the author of Hebrews start? Well, verse number one, he starts with God. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers, 
by the prophets. Now, those two words are probably not very common to you, sundry and diverse. They're both the same Greek word and they both mean the same thing. <clears throat> they both mean various. So God spoke at various times and in various ways in the past. Now, let's take a moment to think about how God spoke to his people in the Old Testament. Just think of some examples. He spoke through visions and dreams. He spoke through angels. He spoke through audible voices. In one case, he spoke by writing a message on the wall. <laughs> think about Balaam. He spoke through a donkey. Just a, a wide variety of ways that God spoke to his people in the Old Testament. But the primary way was through the prophets. In fact, if you think about the actual written scriptures that we hold in our hands today and that we read, there's a, a tremendous variety in the Old Testament writings. You find uh, poetry, you find historical narratives, you find uh, proverbs, prophecy. In the New Testament, we have letters, all these different types of writing from all these different sources. And you, you look at that diversity and you think, why? Why would God communicate with such a wide variety of um, different types of scripture and from different people? I believe it shows God's commitment to communicating to us. God is very concerned about getting his message to us. It's one of the things that makes Christianity unique. We worship and serve a talking God. Our God is not silent, withdrawn, distant. He, he talks to us. He reveals himself to us. He is holy, awesome, but he is also personal. And he expects us to hear, love, and obey him. This is very unique. It's foundational to everything we do as Christians. If God does not speak, we could not know him personally. That's the reality. We could look at creation and know that there is a God, but that doesn't tell us who he is or how we can love him and how we can trust him. We need the gospel to know that. And the gospel was written not in clouds and mountains, but in words. And so that's why the scriptures are such a gift for us, that God would, would um, with such variety and with such incredible power, communicate himself to us. So we, we look at this, all this revelation that we have in the Old Testament. He spoke to us through the prophets. And then he says in verse 2, He has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. Now, again, that phrase might seem kind of strange. In these last days. Does that sound a little off to you, maybe? Because we know that the book of Hebrews was written a long time ago, right? Before any of us were even born. So what does that mean, in these last days? Well, probably the best way to describe it is that the author of Hebrews is splitting up history in two periods. There is the period before Christ, and there's the period after Christ. It's very similar to actually how we think about our calendars. You probably have seen dates AD, BC, and AD. Another way of kind of dividing up history, it's, it's that idea. It's that in these last days, God has spoken to us through his Son. I've heard Mormons before ask the question, the line of questioning before, where they'll say something like, um, how did God speak to his people and reveal himself to his people in the Old Testament? You might say, well, through the prophets. And then the Mormon would say, well, that's right. So how would he reveal himself today if he chose to do so? And sometimes you kind of get caught in the, in the moment. You're like, well, I guess maybe through a prophet. And, and then they jump on it, right? Oh, that prophet is Joseph Smith. And because of uh, what he has revealed to us about God, here is what you need to know. But you see, what you're supposed to do at that point is trip them up. You're supposed to quote here from Hebrews chapter 1 and say, Well, you see, God spoke in times past to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ. The last revelation period was Jesus. And that phrase there is actually interesting. It says, He has spoken unto us by his son. But it, it doesn't just, it doesn't say uh, what you might expect it to say would be apostles, right? 
In the Old Testament, God spoke to us through the prophets. In the New Testament, most of the New Testament was written by apostles. You might say, well, in the, in this new new period of time, in these last days, he's spoken to us by the apostles. But he doesn't say that. He says, through Jesus. Why? Because the apostles were witnesses, not prophets. They weren't writing new stages of revelation. They were just expounding the life, the ministry, and the teaching of Jesus. In these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son. The prophets gave the word of God, but Jesus is the word of God. You know John 1.1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is God's final word. Now, for the rest of this passage then, the author of Hebrews is going to give us seven statements to describe Jesus Christ. And in the time that we have here today in this message, I'd like to share them with you and look at how these different statements about Christ give us a portrait of who he is and how that will change everything about the way that we live the Christian life. The first statement we find is in the middle of verse 2 there. It says, Whom he hath appointed heir of all things. Jesus is the heir of all things. Now, what is an heir? An heir is the one that it's all coming to, right? If you're the heir of a property or of a, of a, of a fortune, when your father or grandfather passes away, that, that inheritance comes to you. You are the heir, so it all comes to you. And here we see that God created everything. Everything that God did on earth was for Jesus, and it's all coming to him. Why does that matter for us? I'll tell you. Since Jesus is the heir of all things, that means that in the end, he can deliver on his promises. Jesus will never make a promise to us today that he's not able to keep in eternity. Why? Because everything's coming to him. It's all his. He is the heir of all things. When he promises eternal life, he can deliver. When he promises hope and joy and security, he can deliver. When he promises satisfaction and rest, Jesus can deliver. So that's statement number one. Statement number two, and also in verse two, it says, By whom also he made the worlds. <clears throat> Jesus created all things. It certainly separates him from the prophets, right? He created the world. Now, when you think of that word creation in our culture, in our world, um, we kind of have a, uh, a shallow view of creation because we normally associate it with human creation or human creativity. The problem, of course, is that our human creativity is really, uh, it's all secondary creation, right? We, we are dependent upon what God has made and upon the laws that govern the universe that he has made. Um, you think of it this way, we can be impressed by an artist who paints a beautiful painting, but in order to paint that beautiful painting, he has to start with something, a paint, canvas, he has to start with tools that he can use to create that, that painting. We may be impressed with a musician who, um, who just plays incredible music, but they have to start with something first, an instrument, um, musical notes and theory. They have to start with the raw materials of their trade. When we create, we can only use materials that God has provided for us. That's not what we're talking about here. Genesis tells us that God literally spoke the world into existence. You might have built a, I don't know, a deck in your backyard, or maybe back in school you made a, a piece of pottery that you brought home to mom and dad, or um, maybe you built a business from the ground up. You're a, you're a, you know, a small business owner and you built that from the ground up. That may be true and that may be wonderful, but here's the reality. You didn't speak your deck into existence. You didn't call up your clay pot out of nothing and bring it home to mom and dad. 
You didn't speak your successful business into existence from scratch with no resources at your disposal. This happens with my kids sometimes in the car. I'll be in the van and uh, one of our kids will say, Dad, I'm thirsty. And I'll look around like I usually do and say, oh, I'm sorry, hon. I, I, I forgot your water. It's at home. You know, I, I didn't bring it. I can't give it to you. And on a, on a good day, they'll say something like, oh, that's no problem. We'll get it when we get home. But that doesn't usually happen. Usually what happens next is something like, oh, but dad, I'm really thirsty. I want something to drink. And after a couple times of answering and saying, I'm sorry, I, I don't have your water. You know, we're almost home and I'll get it for you there. Sometimes I'll try to, you know, joke with them and, and tease them to try to get them to stop complaining about the water. And I'll hold my hand out in the car while I'm driving and I'll say, let there be water. And I'll stare at my hand. Of course, nothing happens, you know. And in the back, they're kind of giggling and laughing. And I'll say, oh, let me, let, let me try again. And let there be water. And I'll try again to pretend like I'm going to create it out of nothing. And again, on a, on a bad day, probably they just keep whining about the water. But sometimes that works. You know, sometimes it kind of points out the fact that, hey, your, your dad is kind of limited, right? I mean, I, I could do a lot of things for you and I try to do what I can to help. But in some situations, I, I simply cannot help you the way that I want to help you. I do not have the ability to create something out of nothing. But Jesus is not like that. He is not limited like I am. He created the world ex nihilo out of nothing. It's a big difference. He is the heir of all things. He is the creator of the universe. Look at verse three. We'll see the third statement here. Who being in the brightness of his glory. The idea of brightness or radiance here. Think about the sun and its rays. That's almost like the illustration he's using here. It it would be foolish to talk about the sun without thinking about the light that comes from the sun. There's no separating those two things. And the same thing is true here. There is God the Father and there is God the Son. And God the Son is the brightness of God's glory. That's what the author is trying to communicate. One uh, commentator I read puts it this way. We see the sun by seeing the rays of the sun. So we see God the Father by seeing Jesus. The rays of the sun arrive here about eight seconds after they leave the sun. And the round ball of fire that we see in the sky is the image, the exact representation of the sun. Not because it's a painting of the sun, but because it is the sun streaming forth to us in its radiance. That's what the author reiterates here actually in the next statement. Look at the next statement in verse 3. It says that Jesus is also the express image of his person. The idea image there is the idea of exact expression or a precise expression of something else. Jesus is not a copy of God the Father, like a, a photograph or a painting. He is the express image, the exact representation of God. So if you want to know what God is like, you can look at Jesus. So it makes the gospel so powerful. If you want to know what God is like, you simply look at Jesus in the gospels and you see he is the perfect reflection of the Father. In fact, this is exactly what Jesus said himself in John 14, 8. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Jesus is the brightness of God's glory. He is the word of God's truth. Just as the brightness cannot be separated from the sun, the word cannot be separated from the speaker. So Jesus is the heir of all things. He's the creator of the universe. He's the brightness of God's glory. He's the express image of God's person. And then look at the next statement there in verse 3. He upholds all things by the word of his power. So this is actually building on verse 2. 
Verse 2 says that Jesus is the creator of the universe. That's incredible, right? We talked about creating out of nothing. But this statement goes even further. It tells us that he's not just the creator. He is the sustainer. Jesus didn't just create the universe. He is holding it all together. The way that Colossians puts it is that he is, by him, all things consist. All things hold together in Christ. There is no way for us to really comprehend what that means because we don't have that power over anything. Jesus Christ is infinitely powerful. He holds the universe together. He holds the molecules of every object together. He holds the individual parts of our bodies together. If he were to stop thinking us into being, we would cease to exist. That's how dependent we are upon him. You know, in our, in our world, we, we like to think of ourselves as self-sufficient, that we're in control of our lives, that we have some degree of power over what we do and who we become and what job we have and how successful we are in life. But the reality is that at a very fundamental level, our very being, our very existence, we are absolutely dependent upon God. We are not self-sufficient. We are, we are dependent at our very core. God says that one word unspoken by Christ would end our existence. So are you getting a glimpse here of this painting that the author is giving us of the supremacy of Christ? Just how central it is that Christ is to our lives. Without him, we have nothing. Without him, we are alone and lost. He's driving home this truth that Jesus is better than anything else that we could compare him to. The prophets gave the word of God, but Jesus is the word of God. The prophets, they were just messengers, but Jesus is the message. The prophets were servants, but Jesus is the son. He's the heir of all things. The prophets were the creation. They were created by God, but Jesus is the creator. And then next here, in, also in verse 3, when he had by himself purged our sins. Here we get to the very heart of our problem. You see, <clears throat> we talked about in the introduction that we all need help. We realize that life is difficult, that life is hard. There are loss and disappointment and trials that we go through. And so we know that we need help, but we all sin. And because of that, we are aware deep down that we do not deserve the help that we need. Let that statement sink in because maybe you've never spoken those words. Maybe you've never thought those words in your mind, but you have felt the weight of that reality that you need help but you don't deserve the help that you need because of sin. So really, there is no help for us. There is no way that Jesus can be the answer for anything if he doesn't deal with our sin problem. Whenever we trivialize sin, we always trivialize Christ because sin is our deepest problem. And Jesus solved that problem when he purged our sins. Notice past tense there. He reconciled us to God. There is no future payment needed. For all those who come to faith in Christ, Jesus purges their sins, past, present, and future. They are covered under his blood. His sacrifice is offered once for all. It is finished. Now, these four statements in verse three have all been building toward this last one, right? Jesus is, because Jesus is the brightness of God's glory, because he is the express image of God's person, because he upholds all things by the word of his power, because he is the one who purges our sins, because all those things are true, look at what he can do at the very end of verse three. It says, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. The fact that he sits down here is significant. I remember reading once in a commentary that there were no chairs, sofas, or beds in the tabernacle. The Old Testament priests 
did not sit down in the tabernacle because the work was never finished. But here it says that after Jesus purged our sins, he sat down. Why? Because there was nothing left to do. It was finished. Christ is seated now at the right hand of the Father as proof of the sufficiency of his blood to cover our sins and give us eternal life with God. The prophet stood up and said, go and do, go and obey. Jesus sat down and said, it is done. Trust and receive. These seven statements expound our Savior, the superiority of our Savior. He is better than everything. He possesses in himself everything that we need to have a relationship with God. Everything we need to live the life that he has called us to live. He is the prophet through whom God has spoken his final word to us. God has spoken through his son. At times, I feel that the church, and let's be honest, myself, at times I feel that I drift dangerously close to a pragmatic approach to the Christian life. It's the kind of approach that judges sermons based on whether they offer anything practical or relevant. In other words, well, I'll listen to the pastor, I'll listen to the preacher if, if he's speaking to the problem that I have and if he's giving me answers on how I can deal with this specific problem that I have. And there's certainly a place for that. Um, obviously, there are, uh, there are answers in Scripture for the problems that we face in life. But I'm afraid I find myself more often there than I realize. And, and here's what's underneath that. Instead of thinking deeply about Christ and his cross... I just want something to do, something to keep me busy, something to distract me from the difficulty in my life, from the conflict that's in my heart. There's this kind of unrest that happens sometimes where when things get difficult, I, I want somebody to tell me what I can do to, to make it easy again, to take away the problem, to take away what's, what's hard in my life. But you know what God most often does in our seasons of difficulty and loss and disappointment? He doesn't normally take all of that away in a moment. He can. Thankfully, he does that for us and he's able to. But most often what he does is he gives us the grace that we need in the middle of that season to experience the joy and rest that he offers us in Christ. And I, I know that I miss that more often than I realize. Instead of treasuring, studying, and saturating myself in the truth of Jesus Christ, the final word, I get distracted and discontented. And I start looking for something else, for uh, someone else to distract me from what's going on in front of me and what's difficult in front of me. But here's the reality. This is the simple yet profound truth. There is nothing better than Jesus. There is no one better than him. You will not find what you are looking for outside of Christ. He is it. He is the final word. You will find in him your deepest joy, peace, and satisfaction or you will not find it anywhere. If you're interested in reading a very interesting book on this, you should read the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes is one man's is the record of one man's journey to find satisfaction under the sun, which is just another way of saying apart from God. And, and I'll, spoiler alert, if you haven't read it, he gets to the very end of the book and he hasn't found it because it doesn't exist. There is no joy and satisfaction apart from God. You cannot find it apart from Christ. There is much that we can do and much that we need to do, but you won't find fulfillment in any of those things that we can do in this life if we don't first know the joy of following and worshiping Jesus. So the author of Hebrews tells us, this God who in various ways and various times spoke unto us by the fathers, 
to, uh, to our fathers, excuse me, by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. This is the opening statement in an entire book focused on why Jesus is enough. Jesus is better. And so today, with those words ringing in our ears, I pray that you would be gripped by the matchless worth of Christ. I pray that God would open your heart and your eyes to the glory and wonder of Christ. Because no matter what you are comparing him to right now, no matter what pleasure, no matter what um, what picture of the future and success you have in your mind, Jesus is better than those things. And no matter what difficulty you're going through right now, Jesus is enough. And I can answer the question that all of us ask from time to time when we get through difficult seasons and we ask, is it worth it? The answer that the scriptures give again and again is yes, it is worth it. If you have Jesus, you have enough. Look to him, trust him. He will never fail you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the truth of the scriptures. I thank you for how it calls out in us our selfishness and our pride. And at times our desire just to want to avoid difficult things and not face the hardships that are in front of us. And Lord, I thank you for the encouragement that it gives us. For those today who are maybe listening to this message, who are going through a, a difficult season, maybe there's been a death in their family. Maybe there's been a lost job. Maybe there's been pressures at work or in relationships and Maybe there's conflict in their own heart as they fight against sin and fight to live a holy life. Whatever the conflict is, Lord, I pray that there would be encouragement here for them, that they would see that you have given us everything we need in Christ. May we study the scriptures, the word that you've given us in the word of God. May we love and obey our Savior. May we remember that he is enough. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.